It is impossible to tell where the law stops and justice begins because the legal system is often a mystery and lawyers serve as priests who preside over the rituals baffling to everyday citizens. But even with this, one cannot help but wonder what mysteries lie behind the system of administration of justice when issues of gender-based violence and rape is discussed. Welcome to yet another part series to the episode on rape, the facts versus reality. Welcome to my not-so-secret diary We can talk about almost anything Serious, hilarious, and so much information Welcome to my not-so-secret diary This is my not-so-secret diary. Welcome to yet another part series to the episode on rape, the facts versus reality. Today, the legal system and administration of justice is in focus. Jake Okechuku Efodu is a legal practitioner and partner at Praxis and Gnosis Law. He joins us to discuss the legal perspective of rape in the Nigerian context. Yo, it's MC Thank you very much. It is my honor and privilege to contribute to this really, really, really amazing and important program where we can talk about these very important issues that affect a lot of people, but people don't have the right information or know where to go to when such incidences like rape occur. So thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. So now, let's just get straight into the discussion now. We hear issues concerning rape. Um, we hear globally, not just in Nigeria. For instance, India has been recorded to have one of the highest incidents of rape. But Nigeria also has a very high incidence of rape. But the question is, are they reported or is the data collected? Is it something that, it's, that can be documented to say, okay, Nigeria's rape incidence is high, low, or in the mid compared to other nations? And how is it and how does that relate to the practice of law? I don't think we report enough of the rape cases in Nigeria because of the socio-cultural norms around sex, sexuality, shame, and consent, right? So our rape, in rape incidence is really high in Nigeria, very high. As a legal practitioner who works in human rights, there is no week that we don't, I don't hear or get a report around like a rape incident, whether I'm the one working on it or league. Now you mentioned India. Um, I think it has to go with population as well. You know, India, there are very many in that country. Uh, same thing with Nigeria. Nigeria is the most populous black nation in the world. So when it comes to issues around crime or rape, you would obviously find a lot of incidences. But the difference between India and Nigeria is that in India, the criminal justice system has been able to distribute this level of awareness. So if a person wants to rape in India, they know that the consequences are really dire and that the law would go into full effect on them. But that's not the situation in Nigeria, whereby when it comes to rape issues, the criminal justice system is not as effective. More importantly, the social cultural norms around rape is still very finicky and funny. And then most importantly, there's like lack of awareness or information. And rape is still connected to so many things that it shouldn't be connected to in Nigeria. Oh, if you report, people will look down on you. There will be shame. How are you sure the person will suffer the consequences? What about forgiveness and forget? What our religion preaches is that forgive and forget, forgive and forget. But forgive and forget has not been able to secure justice for anyone, especially in these issues. And it also hasn't reduced the level of rape incidences that we see. So when it comes to rape in Nigeria, uh, it's very interconnected to so many issues. But as we experience COVID-19, we've seen a huge spike in the level of sexual violence, sexual assault, and rape. And so I think it's an important time to talk about it and to address it from a legal perspective. Okay, so you made mention of the fact that the Nigerian legal system or the uh, administration of criminal justice in Nigeria, as opposed to India, is still, as you said, finicky, meaning there are a lot of chicks and, and turns that no one really understands. Or we understand it enough, but like you said, it's coated around religion and culture. So I need to understand what exactly are these laws that makes Nigeria's case quite different? So they're not really laws. I mean, we can talk about laws. Nigeria has very robust laws that cover rape. Rape is a crime in Nigeria. It's also punishable with up to all, up to almost, in fact, it's punishable with life imprisonment, right? 
Um, we have the uh, the criminal code in the south, the penal code in the north. We have the criminal law of Lagos. We have the Violence Against Persons Prohibition Act in Abuja. We have the Child Rights Act, you know, that is enforceable in so many states that actually protects people and enforces rape. But it's not just about the law. It's one thing for the law to be in the books, but it's the enforcement and the practicality of the law that problems begin to arise from. Now, nine out of ten times when rape is reported in our police stations or anywhere else, it's most likely reported to a man. Right. And I'm not saying this is a problem, but I'm just saying in terms of confidentiality, in terms of trust, in terms of even taking the case seriously, there are issues that might limit a person from reporting rape. If, for example, if, if the victim is female and she has to report to a police officer or a group of police officers who would initially not, who might not treat it with the accord that it deserves. You know, rape is an emotional issue. It has to do with uh, a sense of dignity. It has to do with physical abuse. There's a lot that is tied to it beyond just the crime. So um, the police officer might want to help, but he might just want to help in terms of a legal perspective and not provide the needed holistic support that a victim would need to secure justice in that case. So that's just from the reporting, or just from the reporting, just from the beginning, beginning. And notice that for every person who reports rape in Nigeria, there are five other people who are who not reported. So when a person steps up to report it, they're actually a champion, right? And then for them to get to the point where the system itself becomes so difficult for them, almost like, ah, I'm the one that is a victim, and I'm the one that is going through all this wahala. Okay, I have to provide this. Okay, I have to provide that. I have to show up in court. Is there any form of witness protection for me? Can I can I change my name to an acronym so that people would not know? How do I protect myself from the shame? You know, there's just a lot of things that are bottlenecks. And we say some of, some of them are bureaucratic red tapes that just hinders or blocks people from seeking justice. So I can go on and on and cite different examples and ways by which it becomes so difficult in terms of the law. But I'm also happy that things are changing. You know, people have gotten to the point where they're like, you know what, enough is enough. I'll go all out and see what I can do. If I don't get justice from the law, I'll go and get justice on Twitter. And I would disgrace this person and let everybody know that this person is a rapist so that if anybody hears of a thing, we can take action. One thing that should strike you very alarmingly is how when one person goes on Twitter and says, Mr. X did this particular thing, you find at least four or five people saying, oh my God, he did the same thing to me, he did the same thing to me, right? So it shows you that because of the non-enforcement of these laws, because of the ways rape cases have not been taken as seriously as it should, perpetrators keep doing the same thing over and over and over again, considering it to be normal, considering it to be cultural, and just saying, you know what, nothing, nothing will happen, and that's how they get away with it. But things are changing. You know, we're beginning to see people talk a lot about this. We're seeing a few people go to prison because they've committed, the people that they committed 10 years ago, they're suffering the consequences right now. And that's the kind of sweeping change that we need. But a lot, a lot of these cases are still underreported. Some of them are still taken very trivially. And the law has not met up to the expectations of citizens in terms of bringing justice to them. Because you made mention of Twitter, and what they call it now is dragging, and they'll say, oh, they are dragging somebody like Small Tiger Jen based on the issues of an accusation <laughs> of an alleged rape case. But how does this work? Because going on Twitter streets to seek justice, it means a lot of people are seeing that the law is not on their side. That's why they are saying going on Twitter seems easier. But how does that work with the administration of law? The reason why people go to Twitter is because we don't have enough examples of people who went using the courtroom or who went using our enforcers of justice, police officers. We don't, we don't have examples or a lot of examples of people who went through the legal avenues and sought justice for themselves. If we do have those kinds of examples, people would not recourse to Twitter as a last avenue due to like helplessness or just seeking personal resolution over a rape issue that affects victims. They go on Twitter and say, you know what, let me just say my, if nobody can hear me, at least let me just say my own. Let me just, you know, bring this story out in the open. So yes, it is important. I am not underplaying the value of Twitter. Twitter is really important because Twitter is an avenue for people to gain social consciousness about issues around the world. I mean, if people didn't complain on Twitter, we would not know that rape is such a big issue like this. We would not know that there are plenty of creatures who look like celebrities, who look like pastors, who look like imams, who look like our brothers and our uncles that are actually perpetrators of this, you know, of this offense. Now, the question you asked about um, whether Twitter undermines it, yes or no. 
Yes, because if a person goes on Twitter and, you know, maybe they say something that might hinder the administration of the case, that might be a problem. We've seen situations where people go on Twitter to tell their stories over, like, really big, powerful men. And the next thing we hear is that the person is missing, they are kidnapped. So it's a risky venture um, for people to do that. But there's a lot of value in going on social media to talk about your story. First of all, people need closure. They need to feel a sense to myself, feeling depressed, feeling down. I have to tell it to my space. I have to tell it to my friends. I have to put it out there. That's number one. Number two, you might seek information from other people too. For example, look at the Me Too movement. If one person didn't talk, others would not have raised their voices. So perpetrators, they grow and they, 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 they sort of enjoy that secrecy, that inability for people to say what happened to them, right? And number three, Twitter breaks that stereotype. Oh, that it's shameful if you share your story, or that, you know, you being the victim, you are the problem. No, 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 all that is changing. We realize that people are getting bolder, people are being able to speak up about what happened to them without shame, and they are focused on ensuring that the perpetrators pay for what they did. So there's a lot of value in that conversation. However, the system of the law, though not perfect, still has avenues to be able to meet some of these needs. Previously, the criminal offense, punishable with up to life imprisonment, both in Lagos, Abuja, and all across, all across the country. So, of course, the legal avenue takes a while. You have to go to court, you have to write statements, you have to give witness, you have to provide information of what happened. You know, for some people, it's traumatic. They have to go over that experience again. They have to stand in front of a judge. They'll be with the lawyer. They'll talk several times. You go for court sitting today for mention. You go again. They say it's for hearing. You go again. They say hearing has not finished. You go again. Like, it's, it's traumatic. You know, even as a legal practitioner myself, having handled a few of these cases, I feel for the client, you know, but I have to just say, look, that's how the law is. It's not you go into the everything finishes. It takes a while. It takes a while. We have to keep going. We have to keep pushing. And you might get pushed back. You might get, you might feel depressed. You might feel like you want to drop this case right now. But that this is how the law operates. It operates procedurally. And if you stick with it, who knows? Six months, we might get justice, you know? And even if we don't get justice, it doesn't alternate the truth of what happened to you. And so, therefore, we find avenues for it. As a lawyer myself, there's something we call victim offender mediation, which a lot of lawyers don't actually know about. Now, victim offender mediation is a non-litigious aspect, not just to find justice, but to mediate between the offenders. Okay, rape happened between husband and wife. Rape happened between fiancé and fiancée, right? Or mm. whatever. And the victim, for example, needs mediation. Like they say, look, beyond just getting justice, this guy going to prison or whatever, I, you know, I, I want to get a, a grounding of what happened. I want to get closure from what happened. So victim offender mediation, not many lawyers know, but a few of us do. And so we engage our clients, whether, whether it's the victim or the perpetrator, to speak together and mediate exactly what happened. Now, this does not mean that the law, the punishment will not take its full effect. Though. But even when we tell the judge that, look, oh, this is what I'm going through victim offender mediation, it does help to actually bring closure for the victim. And the focus should be on the victim. How does the victim feel? What exactly do they want? You know what I mean? Yeah. Reason, you commit, yeah, you committing rape, for example, is a state offense. You committed an offense against the state. Now you and government, go the, you, you, government is the one arresting you, not the victim. The victim is not the one putting the rapist in prison. I think this narrative now is that a lot of people do not actually know that when the case of rape is not between the victim and the offender, it's actually between the offender and the state. As you say, of course. Yes, because rape is a criminal offense, and you've committed a crime against the state, not just against the body of the of the individual. Of course, rape has its human rights aspect, which is the violation of the person's dignity, the violation of their bodily integrity. Like you have you abused the person, right? But beyond that person being hurt, you've also tampered on the state. You know, and that's why the state is the one that is going to instrumentalize any form of punishment or remedy in that regard. So it's not to take it against the person that, you know, that, 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 that brought up the case, but it's against the state because the state has to take its full course. As a media practitioner, I've heard people say seeking justice for rape cases is a scientific process. What is the process, basically? Because now you've explained the legal process of going to file the case, um, victim um, mediation, you talked about the court process, but what is the scientific, what does that scientific process entail for the victim in order to report the case? 
Now, it's not about, uh, I mean, they say scientific. I don't know where they are bringing that term from, but I can understand where it's coming from, right? So first of all, let's define what rape is. In Nigerian parlance, rape is non-consensual sexual intercourse. That's it. Once you do anything sexual to somebody and they do not give consent, right, then that is rape. Again, the way the law, when they say scientific, is that the law is quite explicit in the way by which you can actually prove rape, right? Um, so the, you would see now in our laws, they wrote it there that when the man's manhood gets into the woman's vagina, in some laws, it is that explicit. So when you're doing the case, they keep asking questions like, okay, so what exactly happened? Did he touch you? Because if he touched your breast and your nyash, for example, okay, that was sexual assault. That's not rape. Until he uses his um, manhood, right, to mm. penetrate, then we can say, okay, ah, that's rape. That thing people refer to as scientific, right? Um, but in Abuja, we have the Violence Against Persons Prohibition Act. In Abuja, it doesn't matter whether a man or woman. Rape can happen to anybody, by man, by woman, by woman, man, it does not matter. And it does not have to be from the man's um, private part to the woman's private part. It could be from behind. Right, so our laws are, are explicit, but there's a general idea around what constitutes rape and what doesn't, and it's pretty much lack of consent. So penetration is a, a requirement. If it's not, if there's no penetration, then the law will take for maybe it's sexual assault, maybe it's sexual abuse, you know, maybe it's battery, something, right? But in Nigerian law, when they say that scientific part, which I don't really understand, but I, I, this is why they're saying so, that you have to prove specific elements to be able to secure it as a rape. And then the other aspect is about consent. What is consent? Is eh consent or eh eh or mm, 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 you know some, uh, what is consent? If someone is doing something and you don't shout, does that mean consent? That doesn't mean consent. Consent must be explicit. You have to hear the consent, see it, feel uh, what you know. Consent has been another issue, and I've been I've seen several cases whereby they are arguing was this consent. But our law is very explicit. If you get consent based on threats, if you threaten somebody and you know that's how they got consent or you force them or manipulate them, or you use any substance, maybe like drugs or anything, or you impersonate. I've seen a case in this Abuja where somebody disguised as the girl's boyfriend. It was on, then later she discovered that's the brother. That is rape. Wow. So, yeah, so these are the nuances. These are the specific, in quote, scientific details that people talk about that is required to establish the offense of rape. At the beginning of this our discussion now, you made mention of the penal code, you made mention of other laws in different states and, and quarters that work in terms of securing justice for victims. But now, let's go into the penal code now. But first, before even that, how are laws generated first? Because for us to understand how laws are generated, I think that is where this next question will come from. How laws are generated are very, very many, very many various ways. Originally, we have the National Assembly, and there will be a bill brought up by either of the houses of the National Assembly, whether it's House of Rep or the Senate, and that bill will be read and reviewed. They will have first reading, second reading, they will have public review. There's a, there's a, an, a, a process in law that, let me say, an idea will go into a bill, a bill will go into the houses, they will debate it, fine tune it, lawyers will look at it, blah, 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 before it will become an act. Right? Mm. If it's a National Assembly, that act will now be a law that guides everybody in Nigeria. If it's a bill, if it's a state house of assembly, it would be a law that governs that particular state. Now, that's one way that we get our laws from. Another way is that Nigeria is a colonial construct. Now, white man, I named this country Nigeria. No, be we, we, right? And so, some of the laws that we have still enforceable today, they are like, I won't call them borrowed. They are like just, they just handed them down to us, per se. Right, so some of the penal codes and criminal codes, including you mentioned India in the beginning of your, yes. you, know, of that, you know, of this conversation. If you pick out the Indian penal code and you pick out our penal code, you see some things. They look like twins in there, almost very similar because we have similar colonial history. Mm -hmm. But the Indian penal code has evolved over time, and this is the third point I'm trying to make about laws: is that laws are not something that people tell us that binds us. Laws are instruments, agreements that we as Nigerians, as citizens, as well-meaning people in a democratic state, agree that will be binding on us. 
So if you look at the Violence Against Persons Prohibition Act, it came out of activism. People say, ah, how can you say that the rape is only when the man's decision enters the woman's decision? Ah, no. What if he enters the mouth? Because that one not rape. Ah, no, no, no. And so activists began to push and push, and they got that bill from civil society actors up to the National Assembly, and the Violence Against Persons Prohibition Act is now law. Though, enforceable in only Abuja and a few other places, but the law is growing, right? And it becomes a lot of state, even with this whole big issue around. You see, this is why Twitter is important. You see, when the whole big sexual assault scam, not even a scam, uh, the, 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 the whole, how do put it? When people were taking big interest in yes. it, people are releasing, releasing statements, oh, we support women's equality, clinical, clinical, States now began to enforce their own state laws that protect women from sexual violence. Okay, so talking about that now, going through history, we also learned that some of these laws that, that are part of our constitution now, because of course, when you go to courts, it's still the constitution that is still cited in some aspects, aside from the other mm. laws that are being passed, handed down or generated from the House of Assemblies and the Senate. Yeah. Now, for the penal code and for other um, state laws, how are these laws generated? Because I hear the instances of someone citing or people citing Islam or laws being generated from customs and traditions. I, I need clarity on that. Yeah, that's also another one. So when we come to sources of laws in Nigeria, they come from different places. Like we don't, we've mentioned that laws can come from our, some laws came from our colonial masters, in quotes, the people that colonized. And, you know, that's from one avenue. But we also have laws that come from our National Assembly. We have laws that come from our religious books. We have laws that come from our customs and traditions. Now, not all of these laws are negative, right? You know, the customary law has its own place in our value system, um, but some of them are obsolete, like they don't really apply anymore. We have laws that sort of look at women as second-class citizens. We have laws from religion and custom that would say things like a woman's evidence would not be as equal to a man's evidence, or maybe two women's evidence would combine to make it to the level of one man's evidence. You know, just laws that are patriarchal, misogynistic, sexist in nature are just old laws that we kind of like need to do away with, right? For unfortunately, some of those laws are still very apparent, right? Now, when it comes to issues of sexual violence like rape, understand that not everybody can access a police station. So if somebody lives in one village in Berlin, Kirby, um, there are sort of resource, there are levels, there are, there are sort of legal remedy may come from a chief can come from a community head or the head of a household, which most likely would be a man because of the kind of structures we live in. And that might, not, so it, for, for that person, that's their justice system. And they might want to use a religious book to say, okay, let's decide this case and sort it out. I'm just giving an example, okay. right? But even when you talk about the penal code, which is one of the five laws, five general laws that govern rape in Nigeria, the penal code sort of, uh, covers the northern part of the country. And the penal code stipulates you there, you know, a criminal offense, rape is a criminal offense, it, it, it's, it's pretty much punishable and everything. Um, so some people recourse to, I don't know, different avenues. Some people can go to a Sharia court, you can go to a regular court, you can go to your, like, there are different avenues that people use to access justice. And based on what provision to tackle rape in those avenues, or based on the ideology, right, uh, from these platforms, that's the kind of remedy that they would get. So they might go to Sharia court, and Sharia court would be like, oh, this is a punishable offense, and if you rape somebody, wow, that's almost like a capital offense. So the punishment for that is very high, but to prove it is also another big deal. Rape in Sharia law, for example, <laughs> you require like up to four witnesses, and it's very complex and very difficult to prove. But on the Christian side of things, it can be an issue of forgive and forget, you know, the devil that caused it and all kinds of things. So when it comes to rape, that's what I said in the, initially, it is, it is on, it's embedded with a lot of religious, social, cultural, and normative structures that pull and pull it from different places. When the letter book of the law, we have the penal code, the criminal code, the violence against persons protection act. Lagos states have their own specific law as well that governs rape. So for some states, they realize that, ah, so that we don't make mistakes and not allow people just pick and choose to cherry pick from which system. States can create their own laws. So Lagos has its own specific law 
um, which is called the criminal law of Lagos, applicable to Lagos State. So when something happens in Lagos, um, you can take it, they can use that law. It defines what rape is, and it actually states that sexual intercourse by a man with his wife, that it, it actually states that it is possible for a man to actually um, be sexually violent to his own wife. Hmm. Uh, but then there's issues around whether it will be rape or not. So you see, certain states can actually point out a specific thing and address it. Now, talking about the issue of consent, because you just raised that now, and how does consent work exactly? Because you hear people say a man cannot rape his wife. I've heard that personally while I was working in Wazobia, when we addressed the issue of consent in marriage, and um, a, a spokesperson came talking about stories of women claiming that their husbands raped them. And we then heard um, a call from NBC saying that we should drop the topic and we should leave it till a watershed hour. And these issues were pushed to the back. Bonner. So I need to understand now, when it comes to relationships now, between fiancé, husband and wife, or people who have gone through traditional marriage, of course that is marriage already, is, is rape still applicable in instances as that, or will that just be seen as assault? See, we can deny it or defend it, we can denounce it or decorate it. The fact is that whether you are married or in a relationship, Rape, it is still rape. What is rape? You have sex with somebody without their consent. The fact that you're married does not mean you obtain automatic consent to sleep with your partner any day, anytime, anywhere, anyhow you like. That would be ludicrous and ridiculous. And anybody who can think it objectively has a problem. Rape is not saying that uh, two of you do not marry. Rape is not saying that two of you don't have an existing relationship. But what he establishes is that for maybe you got consent several, several times. But on this particular day, for some reason, you didn't get consent. There must be an issue. Maybe you are doing something outside. Maybe the woman wants to protect herself from some disease. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Um, maybe the, the thing she doesn't even feel like. You know what I mean? That's why it's, it, it, it's funny sometimes when the people who are trying to make the change are in a minority, right? But categorically, I would tell you, it is very possible for a person to be raped even if they love the person, even if they are married, even if they are in a relationship. But you see, the reason why people can't articulate this in their head is because of the patriarchal nature that we live in, right? We live in a very men-dominated, male, acclimatized space. The fact that a person is married to someone does not mean you can take over their rights of their body, of their space, of their life. And this is, why, this is, what, this is where abuse comes from. More importantly, this is where young boys learn these kinds of things. They've seen in their family that, well, you know, if my father can rape my mother, then maybe I can rape my girlfriend. And that's where the issue comes in. And then it becomes a controversial topic. Oh, maybe this is, you know, I, I, I don't know. if we do not articulate and address it properly and call it what it is, then we would not, we're not going anywhere. Of course, rape within a marriage comes with different complexities, right? Maybe they have kids, you know, maybe they can demand go to prison for life. What of him being, like, there's a lot of things, emotions that go around it in a marriage or a relationship. But it's still rape, bro. I don't understand the difference. It is still rape. Yes, you can rape your partner. Yes, you can steal from your partner, even if you're married. Yes, you can, you can we have seen situations where people kill their partners. It is still murder now. Will you call it something else? Hmm. Why would you now remove rape as part of it? Yes, rape people in the marriages have been raped, and that's a big issue. So men actually feel, or women um, also, that they can control the person that they are dating, that you own the person, that the person is obliged to you for life, that their life has ended because they married you. And these are the issues that are preventing young people from even thinking positively about what marriage looks like for them. So let's not get it uh, right or wrong, black or white. A woman or a man can be raped in their marriage. It doesn't matter if they've had children, if they've been married for 15, 20 years. Rape is simple. Once you don't get consent, it is rape. If you go ahead, that's rape. And then when you ask him what consent is, it's specific. I, think people, I know these days a lot of men joke about it on Twitter. That make sure say you, she talks yes first. So in fact, record that more, write up down, sign agreement. But lots of those things, but they are not funny, right? They are, it, 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 it's better. To, to you have it to, to, to get full content than to guess. Than to say, I don't know whether she said yes or no, but I don't know. I just, she did not stop me now. What does, if she did not stop me, what does that mean, right? 
So you want to be aware, and I'm happy that this consciousness is beginning to become our everyday reality. People are now more aware about content. Do you agree? Do you not agree? Hey, what's happening? Why are you coming to visit me? As you're coming now, are you, are we going to, ah, you not say no, 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 let's talk it now, so that you not say, ah, 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 ah. So people are having this conversation and it's important that you're coming to visit me this evening, this is what I'm thinking. Are you thinking what I'm thinking? Okay, ah, okay, I just want to be sure we're on the same page so that we will not say, I will not be on me to movement. People laugh about it, but I'm like, that's okay, that's important. Let people say what they think, right? The fact that I'm wearing short skirts or that I come to your house or that I'm laughing, I'm sending you love emoji, does not mean I'm ready to, you know, to have sex with you. Even if I want to have sex with you, maybe not today. Maybe I'm fasting. You know, there's just so many things that just makes it easy for us to be clear-cut. And as a legal practitioner, I always say, it's better for you to err on the side of surplusage. Get content and get content again, you know, before you, you... And the thing about content is for a lot of people who have been raping people without content, they're now uncomfortable. to not saying, ah, something I've been doing since they're not telling me to change. I should not be asking, no, now. Hmm. So you see, I totally get what you are saying, Jake. But then again, this issue of consent. Now we hear of oh, she initially she said yes, then um, stop it. I like it because in the African setting, and we are using Nigeria as a big example, where females or women are not very vocal about issues concerning sexuality or sex generally now, and you hear people say oh, she was playing hard to get. How does this now resonate with the administration of law? You're absolutely right. I agree with you that because of the way our system has been modeled, like the way we frame our system, women have not been even allowed to express themselves sexually. Like, to Amanda will talk about it, that women are not allowed to, if a woman is sexually expressive, to say, this one, Ashao, if a man is sexually expressive, to say, this guy, Nabado, you know? Just imagine the very polarized views we give sexual expression. So a lot of women might want something, but they'll have to play coy or, you know, or whatever. And I understand that. But it's not the role of the man to interpret the reasoning behind the response he's getting. So if it's topic I like it, it's okay, is this topic or is it like it? You know, let's be clear. And there's nothing that stops you from investigating that kind of, uh, you know, that kind of talk, right? Um, consent does not mean once a girl gives you consent, then... If she has signed her life agreement with you, you are taking it with, you know, with you to the high heaven. Content can be, you can stop. Some can say, look, I initially liked it at the beginning, but right now, man, I'm not feeling it anymore and I, and I want it ended. Anything that goes beyond that would be rape. So consent, that's why I say consent is something that is important for people to not only know or define or practicalize, but we need to use examples so that people can, it can take. Because some people, they've been so bastardized that they cannot understand what consent is, right? Hmm. Like, you are doing something to somebody and the person says, okay, man, it's been great, but like, right now, man, like, I'm kind of like done. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Oh, the initial response is, you like, anything you go on to do from there, obviously, that's rape. A lot of men don't understand consent. Until another man starts teaching on them and say, this guy, you're not there, you know. <laughs> is that how you crazy? Are you mad? <laughs> I'll say, now you know how it feels for some people when you like something and they don't like it, Right? So people are very individualistic in their thinking, like, ah, because I want it does not mean the person, because I want it means you want it too. It doesn't matter that way. If the person says, no, some people say things like, oh, okay, but she didn't like it in the beginning, but you see, she still enjoyed it in the end, she was mourning. Hmm. That doesn't matter. The fact is, you did not get consent. So, it's, 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 and I know, I, I, I do, I'm not blaming anyone, even the way, as a guy, even the way we've been raised, right? Even from young, from secondary school, you will say, oh, well, we did assembly on my top current, oh, that girl stands on my front, I just, Near her small, but this was the top current, you know. It's a cultural thing that we grew up with. But I think it's time for us to unlearn those stereotypes. You know, we need to unlearn those stereotypes because the world has changed and those kinds of abusive behaviors can be very, very problematic, not only for our jobs, our lives, but also the kinds of the kinds of young people that we want to go. Like we're getting older, you know, we're having kids, things are changing. So our ideas too must change. I remember the days when women, all women used to do is bath us and carry us to school and provide food. But now women are CEOs. Women are are supporting their families and their extended ones. In some families, breadwinners. Exactly. So the ideologies around sex, sexuality, consent, rape must change. And as long as you are, I always say this, as long as you are coming from a good place, things would work for you. Anybody who has raped, it's very hard I know not was raping. It's very rare. It's either you are ignorant or you just didn't care. I did not know when they said, you know, 
I'm just saying, if a person is drunk and cannot understand what's going on, the person cannot move, the person is asleep, how can they get consent? Hmm. So these are conversations that need to be had, including as our circle that you guys hang out to go and drink or eat fish. Talking about conversations that need to be had now, when issues of rape arise, mostly the mindset is always focused on the the girl child, on the women. But we have heard instances of men who have complained or have come out to say, I was raped. How does the justice system work in that? Because even in the definition of rape that you have given or the ones that we see generally, we see the focus of a man versus a woman. But what happens when it's a woman versus a man? It is still rape, right? I'll, I'll say three things. The first is, it is still rape. It doesn't matter whether it's a man from a woman, a woman to a man. Rape is rape. Lack of consent, bam, that's initiated. Like, it doesn't matter the gender. That's the first thing I would say. The second thing I would say is, our law does recognize that men can be raped. It doesn't recognize it in the penal code and the criminal code, but it recognizes it in the Violence Against Persons Prohibition Act. Remember, it says violence against persons. It did not say women, men, or any other person. It says persons. So whether it's in the front, in the back, in the mouth, whatever it is, it amounts to rape. So you see, our laws are changing to accommodate that. That's the second thing I want to say. So our laws are not oblivious. Again, it's not perfect. It doesn't apply all all across the country, but it's there in that Violence Against Persons Prohibition Act. The third thing I want to say is, in terms of incidences, like reports, right, um, it's still very gender biased. There are a lot of women that get raped and they are men. I'm not saying men are not raped, right? There are a lot of women that um, get raped more than men. But it doesn't mean we should remove men from that conversation. It just means that men need to know when to talk about their own incidences. It's like when we talk about Black Lives Matter, someone says, yes, but all lives matter. Why does it pain us as black people? We're like, ah, why did you wait for me to talk about my, uh, my own, our own that is the more serious one? You now come and tell us but all lives matter, right? So mm-hmm. when a woman complains of rape, it's not to say, eh, I'll get you, but men still get raped now. But that's not the issue. Do you get my point? Yeah. <laughs> like, yes, we need to have that conversation. And men need, a lot of men are still, they're still reeling from sexual and emotional abuse that they've had. A lot of guys that I know, their first sexual encounter was rape, but they don't know. Maybe the nanny or the out girl was playing with them in the bathroom when they were bathing and when they were small. Like, so again, of course, the answer is men do get raped. And it's important to address both rape of men and rape of women by men or women or otherwise. Very important to address it. But knowing when, knowing how, and knowing the reality is very important, especially knowing that more women are victims than the other way around. Now you mentioned the um, violence against persons, the act that is on ground, but we are still hearing stories of domestication. What exactly is domestication? You hear that, oh, this state hasn't domesticated the law. Please explain what is domestication of a law. In, in lay terms, so domesticate means they don't bring them into answer. I'm allowed to speak pigeon. Yeah, please, fire on. Okay, great. So domestication is like, in layman's terms, it's like, you brought it home. You domesticated it. It now applies in your house. So in that in the, in that language, it would be that the law has been passed, but a state because you know states have their own sovereign power as well. There's, they have their own exclusive jurisdiction that governs them. You know what I mean? So even though it has become an act and it's there in the books, a person cannot say, "Oh yes, we now have domesticated." this particular law, and it now applies in Aquaibom. Edo can say the same thing and that. The reason is because sometimes there are issues that are, like, nationalistic, but there are specific issues that are state-based. Now, understand that the criminal and the penal code are nationwide. The criminal code covers the uh, southern part of the country. The penal code covers the northern part of the country. But that's at the time when, you know, the, the country was polarizing to north and south. Now, when it comes to the Violence Against Persons Prohibition Act, as well as the Child Rights Act, because the Child Rights Act also punishes rape, but not all states have domesticated the Child Rights Act, meaning that some states have still not accepted that act to preside or to, to, be, to, you know, to govern their own particular state. You notice that the Child Rights Act, for example, not many northern states have domesticated it, maybe because they feel like, oh, this particular section we don't like, or, uh, you know what, the states have their own leverage to either accept or not accept these laws. And that's why advocacy is important, right? Of recent, we've seen a lot of states begin to use 
or adapt to the Violence Against Persons Prohibition Act or the Child Rights Act, or they might even create their own. They might just copy maybe 80% of the law and say, okay, they will now add something and say, okay, this is a five bomb sexual offense, whatever, whatever law, right? Mm-hmm. Just like Lagos have their own. So for me, I know it's a legal process and I've tried my best to try to explain it, but that's where advocacy comes to play. If you think a particular law is critical, it's important, then of course we can domesticate it and it applies um, within that particular state. Let's jump into the penal code now and the issues of underage marriage. Because we understand that for consent to be given, and the, the person or the persons involved in the sexual act have to be up to the age of 18, which is the should I say the national age of an adult in Nigeria? Is, is that not right? Mm. For the penal code, what age is registered? Or what does the penal code say in terms of consent and marriage? Because now we look at other states like Lagos, which is 18, Abuja, which is using the Violence Against Persons and Prohibition Act as laws that are governing, and that states that somebody has to be um, 18 and above to engage in any sexual act. What does the penal code state? Because now we still have incidences of people who are 13, who are 11, who are 9 getting married off. And would that now be said as rape since the person is not of legal age to, to consent? So for the penal code, eh, what the penal code says, I remember this very well, is that anybody who is under the age of 14 or you know, anybody who's under the age of 14, it doesn't matter whether they say yes, it doesn't matter whether they, whether they know what's going on once they're under 14, or whether they are on sound mind, yes, whether they are under 14 or on sound mind, it is rape automatically, automatically. Hmm. Whether they agree, or whether they, they sign an agreement, whatever it is, once a person is under the age of 14, it is rape. That's the penal code, right? Okay. So it doesn't matter whether you're married to them, or it doesn't matter whether because in, in, in Sharia law, for example, because I did Islamic law in school, I'm not a Muslim, but I did Islamic law, and I know that even when people get married under a certain age, um, they remind the men that, remember, you cannot engage in sexual intercourse until they get to a specific age. Whether the men comply to this, we don't know. You know what I mean? Whether people okay. can report this, we don't know, right? <laughs> um, but then the penal code just stipulates 14 years as a benchmark. So it also doesn't mean that once a person is above 14, then anything goes. <laughs> that does, that's not what it means. Um, again, I don't want to go into the, the nuances of when it comes to underage marriage, even within Islam or otherwise, because there's a, there's a provision in the Quran, there's the Sunnah, there are different Qadis and the Ijma, the K, there are different interpretations of what surrounds this. But in terms of Nigerian law as it is, the penal code which covers the North says 14 and above, right? Mm-hmm. And that's it. So a person cannot consent to sex if they are below 14. Not just about age. If a person is of unsound mind, if they have a mental health crisis, they're not able to give consent. No matter how you say they agreed, no. If a person is of unsound mind, they can't. If a person is intoxicated to a level where they don't know what's going on, or they are under the influence of drug or alcohol, they can't give consent, even if they are 19, 27. They can't. Hmm. So... These are, this is the law, you know, this is, this is why, why content is very critical. Um, the fact that they said yes, you know, did you force them, did you threaten them, you know what I mean? There are even cases that have said things like telling somebody something like, if you don't agree, I will, I will, I will do something bad to your family, and then they agree, that is still not content, because you've induced it, you've threatened it, anything from threat inducement, threat or inducement, or even promise. So, in the instance yes. when somebody says, I'll buy you a car. Well, that's different. <laughs> that's different. Well, I mean, the reason why I say this is because there's a case where some, I think it's related to some of the Boko Haram issues, though. Some of the girls were promised that they will be released if they consent to sex. Do you get my point? Hmm. So, them consenting to sex on the premise that they will be released, that is still rare because at the end, they were not released. So, what do you call that? Do you say that's consent? That is not consent, right? So you see, I like to exemplify it. I like to give instances, examples, so scenarios, so that people can understand. There is an age requirement, and that is 14 years for the penal code. In some other parts of the country, they say 18. That's it. It means say 17, 16 cannot, 16 year old cannot give consent. 
even you, so not to say it's a movie, even with the whole big deal with R. Kelly, yeah. what's the big, why, why is he in prison? There's the part of rape, there's the part of underage. Whether the girls left their house and came to meet you, whether they're the ones that begged you, they promised you to do, but their underage is still rape. Hmm. Because the law assumes that they don't have the the mental capacity to be able to determine exactly what their sexual needs or you know affections are. Um, again, that's not me. I agree with the law. So if a thirteen year old says she knows what she's doing, she agrees. She agrees. It's between her and the penal code, right? Okay. Um, so that's the law. Unfortunately, both the penal code and the criminal code do not recognize that men can be raped. But it doesn't mean, it, it, it actually classifies it as sexual assault. Wow. Yes, it classifies it, which is still punishable. There's still prison there. So let's not say, there's still prison there, right? But it's not in the same level as rape, but it's changing. It's good to know that this is changing. Just in case you're joining the program, this is still my not-so-secret diary, and we are talking with Jake Efodu Okechuku, who is a barrister, a legal practitioner, a partner at Praxis and Gnosis Law. In law, you know, we, we sometimes we learn law through some Latin terms. Okay, anyway, so, so. so Praxis and Gnosis yes. is actually Latin now. It's Latin, yes. Okay, and just in case you want to be part of the conversation, you can hit me up at that's my not so secret diary podcast on Twitter. That is at MNSSD podcast, and you can send in your questions, your contributions, and also you could you could be a part of the community and contribute towards the success and keep the podcast afloat. A link is posted under the description of this podcast episode. So now, Jake. Something pricks my mind anytime I think about the legal implications or how the process goes for rape now, mostly in Nigeria. And for this episode, we are looking at the facts versus the reality. So can we have some facts that are generalized in other nations and let's have the reality in Nigeria that is at the opposite? So, um, well, I would not say there's a lot of opposites. I would just say that Nigeria is still growing to be like other countries, right? It's, we're still advancing as a democratic nation. We're still aiming to develop our criminal justice system to be, uh, to be not like others, but to be more accommodating of issues like this. So, I mean, I've been practicing law for over 12 years now. And when I started practicing, when I handled rape cases, for example, they were barely... Um, homes or shelters that women that are raped could go and seek support. Um, you know, after the whole case, I used to just wonder, is my client going to go home? So when the person who has been charged with the offense, if they find them guilty and maybe they're going to prison, what happened to my client? Uh, my, my client's just going to sit down at home. But the person who gets in prison, how does it restore, like, or, you know, remedy the situation my client has been in? But, you know, like today, we have uh, certain centers, for example, I know there's one in Lagos, I think it's called Mirabel Center. There's Mirabel Center in Lagos, and we hear about the Stand to End Rape, S-T-E-R, yes, Stand to End Rape Initiative in Abuja, mm-hmm. that would seek to provide support for women. So the approach has become more victim-centered. I also remember that when I started to practice law, and I would make a request to the judge that, my Lord, my client, can my client come in with her face covered or with a mask so that she doesn't feel embarrassment or shame. And I remember one time one judge even laughed and said, ah, how will not show that to your client? I was like, I was like, I was like, if she's not ready to show her face fully, why are we here? Why are we here? You know, I beg go, that's the law. This is like, don't come and give us or you go or something. But today, there are instances where this has been allowed, where the, the, the judge will understand the, the sentimental value of what the client is, of, of what the uh, what the victim is going through, and 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 I would, I would have, I've seen approvals. So say yes, you know, that's is a different name to protect the identity of the victim. Not to say that the victim is not confident about their case, but to protect them from you see how these trolls on the internet, all these mm. abuse and insults that comes through, and these things limit people from actually coming out to see what happened, right? So I've seen two approvals here in Abuja. The judge granted it, and that's where we're going. But in terms of the bottlenecks, there are still plenty. We need more female police officers to hand, once an issue comes out to do with sexual nature, 
We should have more female police officers attend to it. Again, I, I, let me make a disclaimer that people who have said it's even worse when a woman handles the issue, blah, blah, blah. But you see, when we talk about patriarchy and, uh, and the kind of misogynistic system that we live under, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter the gender. It's, women are still victims, even when they operate at that level. But maybe we need specific centers. You know how we have, I don't know if you know this, but in law, we have specific courts, courtrooms that are for marriage issues. Yeah. We have specific courtrooms that are for, yeah. Maybe we need specific centers, specific judges, specific prosecutors. When the person is charged with rape, right, it's a prosecutor that would actually work to see that that person goes to prison if they committed it. If the prosecutor is a rapist themselves, or they just don't understand the issue, or maybe in their own family themselves, maybe that one has been accused of rape himself, how do you think he will be able to diligently prosecute that particular case, right? So we need more people who are specialized. We need more sexual health experts, more people who are specialized in this area as judges, as lawyers. Even me, myself, as a guy, I, I can tell you that my 300-level criminal law course, which taught me about rape, it did not pass four hours of training, but I had to do my own specific reading, research, engagement, talking to people, asking questions. Hmm. That's how I found victim offender mediation. I'm like, oh, wow. So a lot of women who have experienced rape, for some of them, yes, they want the person to be in prison, but that's not really all that they want. They want closure. They want to be heard. They want to remedy the situation. They want to prevent other people from experiencing it again. They want to prevent themselves from experiencing it again. So this is where we are, you know? Not every lawyer would have that expertise to be able to look into issues like this. And I've seen the same thing with divorce cases, right? People say, oh, you know, if we divorce, what will God say? But we see people who stayed in marriages and they died there because they could not say anything, they could not mention what's happening. Um, so rape is complicated. It's not just about the abuse. It's about a lot of things, the health of the person as well. There are people who, okay, they are victims of rape. Then they discover that not just rape came through, maybe they got pregnant, so a child has come to bed. Okay, so I'm just, okay, maybe you know, HIV came through as well. Like, it's a complex issue that people trivialize. And as you know, Green Girl, but uh, has she not been having other boyfriends? Like, they just reduce it to something so small and just, in, just like, it, it undermines the value of why we have a criminal justice system in the first place. So Nigeria is still racing towards it. Um, our system is still very, very male-dominated. The structurations for how rape cases are prosecuted are still very, very... Um, um, arbitrary. They're actually quite limiting. They don't get a lot of support that they deserve. Um, from even access to justice, if the person doesn't have money, for example, mm. and the person has been raped, where would they find? How, where would they start? Where would they? How would they go? Like you know, so these are some of the issues that need to be had. But I'm happy that you know, at all, at all, this is an bad part. Mm. At least we are getting something called a re re a re. A, a re-engineering of our social squares. People are having a lot more conversation about rape. People are having a conversation, both men and women, in public circles, in the bars, in the parlors, in the morning devotion, right? After prayers at mosque, on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, people are talking about it. So people who are, are, so it's making them able to arrange themselves. People are coming out to say, forgive me for what I did in 1997. I did not know better. I know better now. You know, (laughs) There's a, there's a reawakening and a purging that I'm happy about. So at all, at all, we are, we, you know, we're making progress, and I'm happy to see more and more of that. Okay, as you said, at all, at all, I'm bad person. You talked about people going through their conscience to check if they are actually offenders or reconscientizing themselves now. So for cases that are, for no want of a better word, will I say that are still cases mm-hmm. that have passed 10 years, can someone still seek and get justice for old cases? Of course. Yes. So there's something we call statute of limitation, which means that for some cases, the law will say, if you do not bring it within this year, uh, that, that I doubt, uh, from my knowledge of law, I doubt there's a limitation for rape cases, right? So I, I mean, it, it does make sense, right? For a lot of, for example, if I'm an underage girl, and something happened to me when I was like 13, but I didn't know, I, I mean, I didn't know what the law was, I had no idea, and then I'm now 21. Ah, I'm not like, oh, wait, 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 what happened to me then? You know what I mean? Are you saying the law should not entertain what I did? 
No. Oh, what happened to me? Sorry. Of course, the law should entertain it, right? So I don't think it's an issue of stale. It doesn't really go stale. You stole something in 1997. They don't catch you now. Uh uh-uh. You go go prison. We're not saying the money don't finish. No, no, no. You committed a crime. You committed a crime again. I keep saying it is you and the state. There's <laughs> the harm that you did to the person, and the person can say, "I've seen cases whereby the person, the victim will say, I forgive you. I forgive you. Go for free.'" Police will say, go for free, we <laughs> You forgive him, that's okay. Good, thumbs up. Bye-bye, thank you very much. But there's an aspect, it is a crime against the state. The government has to now, you know, and when we punish, when rape is punished, it's not to suffer the person. Because we just think it's to suffer the person. Sometimes it's retributive, sometimes it's restorative. Sometimes it's, 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 it's to teach a lesson, right? To just take it so that we are sure that this thing doesn't happen yeah. too much. Hmm. Yes, and we, I saw about two weeks ago, not even two, last month actually, I had a couple of friends who are writing petitions to the president to declare a state of emergency on rape. That's how bad it got. That's how bad it has gotten. In India, the same thing happened. Rape was becoming so rampant, so rampant, and the law did not take full course. What did Indians do? They gathered rapists and they burnt them alive in the middle of the street. Google it. Hmm. Women gathered and they tell you, yeah, point out the race trees in your compound. Oh, yeah, that's so they bring them out. And they took the law in their own hands. When they were done, the women say, oh, yeah, oh, police come and imprison us. Let's just carry us to prison because as it is right now, there's nothing you're doing for us. And I don't want Nigeria to get to that level. We don't need to be drastic for that kind of change to happen, right? So when people are saying there's a state of emergency over rape, I keep wondering how around, because every week there's one rape case, every week. From, and this is, this is from the big ones, though. Celebrities, musician, doctor, lawyer. You know, today, this morning, as I opened my WhatsApp this morning, I saw a petition. Chidi Kalu, this one, that one. They say, one MBA lawyer, don't rape person. I'm just like, wow. Even within the bar association, what's going on? You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's, an, it's, a, theory, it's a critical, really serious, critical issue. And it's not to blame anybody. It's not to say, okay, but let's have this conversation. What is it really? What is it really? I remember when, <laughs> when I was a kid, my father said, I don't know what people are thinking in this house or you're talking to my brother. He said, if there's anything, please help yourself in the bathroom if that's the case. If he's doing like that. But the least thing he wants to hear is like, you know, if there's an issue of you molesting a girl, or that, you, just, you know, that's just, just... But when he said it, we laughed. Ah, how can we buy a party in the bathroom? But I don't know. For some people, I don't know what the issues are. You know, sex is tied from people's, uh, like, thinking or mental health or depression or even the way they perceive sex to be. I don't know. So these are conversations that need to be had. Hmm. These conversations need to be had. Even when I sit across my friends and we talk about, they talk about some things that they, they do or some things that they like, you know, I know it's uncomfortable, but I will still come and say, ah, but guys, ah, you know, say, then I'll bring up the conversation, you know? And I realize that sometimes I'm the only one intervening. Sometimes it's difficult to bring them, because they go say, ah, this is you're not a comic, this is your human rights, chemical, chemical. But other times, it's been well-received, like, oh, man, guy, thanks, so I swear, if you don't tell me this, I for no, no. And that's, that's how we should be. And my friends, too, correct me on things I'm not very much aware about, right? I might be a lawyer, and I've I worked in human rights for, for many years. When it comes to oil and gas or something else, I need my colleagues to say, guys, you know, so that's the way it should be. So when people are, it's not about dragging somebody like a smudger. Sometimes it's just like dragging them like a bag of rice. Because you <laughs> see me, you see me, you know, something. It's not really a dragging. It's like pulling you into the conversation. Oh, yeah, come and talk. Wow. So... That's where we are. And I hope that, you know, especially within our young ones, I hope that this conversation will lead to something better. Wow. Um, Jake, Jake, I must confess, this has really been a very insightful discussion. And like I said, this is not a one, one-off discussion. I'm still going to have advocates. I'm going to have medical practitioners speak on this. And I'm also hoping to have someone from the enforcement angle, the law enforcement angle, also speak on this. Because starting the discussion, a lot of fingers were being pointed in the direction of law enforcement, saying that they also contributes to the underreporting of instances of rape. But having discussed with you now, I'm actually seeing more need to involve more stakeholders in this discussion. So I want to say a very, very big thank you to you for being part of this edition and episode of my Not So Secret Diary. And as we have been discussing rape, 
the facts versus the reality as we are looking at the Nigerian perspective. Thank you very, very much, Jake, for being a part of this discussion. You're welcome. In your eyes, I lost a lot of to you. I just want that kind of view. You came and broke my bed with the wild in your eyes. I lost a lot of to you. I just want that kind of view. Have a mascara of my sense. I don't believe in what anyone else sees. Except you, I got in that party and you watching all of my every 